Today's scripture is in Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. That's Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten more of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you, tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me, that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have brought <coughs> from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I've bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. <clears throat> For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Abinadab, Abinadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Thank you, Phil, for the reading, as always. Uh, thank you, Sam, for the prayer. Uh, Sam used to be a, a very lost soul. If you know, if you know, you know. Uh, the whole church was praying for him for quite a while, and finally he gave his life to the Lord a few years ago. 
So always encouraged to see him up here, uh, you know, serving the Lord in his own way. So with this message, brothers and sisters, uh, we will be concluding our series in the book of Ruth. All right, a little sad? You know, part of me is sad, but, but every time I uh, conclude a sermon series, uh, part of me is actually wanting to celebrate, right, because, you know, persevering in anything in life, whatever it may be, whatever form it may take, it's actually very hard, and so... I believe anything you can persevere through is worth celebrating. I think most of you would agree that uh, the book of Ruth has been very edifying uh, to study. And so if you missed any of the messages, I would really encourage to, uh, you to, you know, uh, to go back and, and find the message online, uh, follow along you know, as the church learns together. You know, one important way we actually are able to stay connected and unified as a church body is by processing God's word together on a weekly basis, okay? So that's very important. And I'm not saying that uh, you shouldn't listen to any other pastor's sermons, right? Like if you're hungry for more preaching by other pastors, right, by all means, take in as much as you can. Uh, but what I'm saying is, at minimum, uh, you should listen to what your pastor's messages are each week, okay? Regardless of who's preaching. Uh, next Sunday, uh, Pastor Hehu will be giving the message, and the following Sunday, our other pastoral intern, Pastor Andrew, will be delivering God's word to us, so uh, please continue to follow along. As far as today's message goes, uh, I, I do need to keep it on the shorter side. Uh, I need to leave room for communion, uh, so I'll do my best to honor our time, okay? Here's the outline for today. Uh, part one, the man without a name. Uh, we're introduced to a new character here, but he's nameless. What's going on? All right, let's investigate together. Part two, Jesus, the one who turns nobodies into somebodies, right? Part three, the bigger picture and why genealogies matter, okay? Why they're not just to be considered boring, but why they matter, okay? Uh, part one, the man without a name, These stories have been so fun, I like to refer to each message as an episode, right? So from last week's episode, uh, the best line was given by Ruth when she said to Boaz, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer, right? Uh, I, I dare you sisters to <laughs> speak to your, your man like that. Uh, you know, we said that Ruth was basically giving Boaz, who was a much older man, permission to marry her. But Boaz, being a godly man uh, with integrity, knew that there was another potential redeemer uh, who was closer to Ruth, and so he promised to first give him the opportunity to fulfill the role of redeemer for, for Ruth, as was custom back in the day. And so Today, we, we see this new, rather mysterious character introduced to us in the story. And I say mysterious because, again, we're not given a name, right? In fact, the author of Ruth goes out of his way to hide his name from us by referring to him in verse 1 
as Mr. So-and-so. Literally, that's what it reads like in Hebrew, okay? Now, the ESV translation, uh, they kind of changed the wording a bit. Let me read that for us one more time. It says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, turn aside, friend. That's the word that the ESV chooses to use. Turn aside, friend. Sit down here, right? No names given, just it says friend. But in the Hebrew, I looked it up myself, it literally reads, so Boaz said, not friend, but Mr. So-and-so, Mr. Such-and-such, right? This nameless figure. Sit down here. That, that's how it reads. So we're, we're supposed to think of this as pretty strange, actually, right? I mean, why wouldn't God give us a name here? Surely he must have had a name, right? Names are actually important to God. Uh, but for this new character we're introduced to, he's just not given a name. It's, it's really strange. All we really know about him is that he's a closer relative to Ruth. Right? But interestingly, he doesn't seem to have any clue as to what is going on in Ruth and Naomi's life. Right? And I think that <laughs> in and of itself is meant to make us wonder, what, what kind of man is he actually? Right? I mean, think about it. How could you be a close relative and not know anything about the condition of Naomi and Ruth up to this point. I mean, it wasn't a big town. He should have known. So it must have been the case that he just didn't care all that much of other people, even of his family members, what's going on in their lives. There's a clear contrast, I believe, uh, being made between Boaz, who cares deeply about the vulnerable and the weak, Right, versus this man, this obscure, nameless man who doesn't seem to care at all. Let me read a portion of our passage today, starting from verse three. Then Boaz said to this redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. And so Boaz has to update him as to what's going on in the, in the life of Naomi. And so when, once he mentions there's land to be purchased, this obscure, nameless man, he jumps on the opportunity to purchase the land. He says, I will redeem it. I will take it. Right? No hesitation. Uh, but then Boaz he adds more detail. He says, actually, the, the day you buy the field from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, this foreign Moabite widow, to perpetuate the name and so on, right? And so as soon as he hears that detail, his response changes, right? He says, well, actually, uh, I, I can no longer redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance are his words. In other words, he's saying that this is a risk that I'm not willing to take. Right? I'm, I've got my own personal investments to protect. I got my own ambitions to pursue. I mean, I like my life as it is now. There's no way I'm gonna spend my own personal resources to care for a widow and her mother-in-law. No way, right? 
Even if God's law says it's the right thing for me to do right now, which God's law said it was. And so he, regardless, he rejects the offer. And so in this story, this unnamed man actually doesn't realize the amazing blessing and privilege he's forfeiting as he rejects this offer, as it's made clear to us later in the story. And so I believe that God is intentionally uh, choosing not to reveal his name, or to make it clear to us that he's actually not a worthy man. On the one hand, you see, you had Boaz, who we're told was a worthy man. That's how he was described, right? He was well-respected by the townspeople. He was a hard worker, a job producer. He was a man of integrity who treated other women with utmost respect and gentleness. But he was, a, as we said, a man's man, right? A leader of leaders, Boaz, right? Can't go wrong with Boaz. But in contrast to Boaz, you have this Mr. So-and-so, was interested in only looking out for himself. There's a stark contrast there that's being made. So one of the lessons, brothers and sisters, that we learn from Scripture that's also very clear in this book is that, listen carefully, if you want to make a name for yourself in this life, you will remain nameless in the book that really matters. You may make a name for yourself in this world, but you will remain nameless to God in the end. You count the cost of that. That that thought should sober us a bit because how often have we been tempted to shy away from the godly privileges and responsibilities that that God has placed upon our lives How often have we forfeited the opportunity to serve others because we were concerned for our own safety and comfort above anything else? It's meant to sober us a bit. So may the Lord give us much grace that we may act more like Boaz, and less like this obscure, unnamed man in this story. Amen? Amen. Part two, Jesus, the one who turns nobodies into somebodies. Now, one reason why the book of Ruth is so powerful is because it portrays for us how God's amazing grace lifts up lowly people and the exalts them to a place of honor and esteem. I mean, it's something that that you see repeatedly throughout Scripture, but especially in this book of Ruth, right? It's seen so clearly. I mean, listen to verse 11 and 12 one more time as I read it, read them for us. Verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman, referring to Ruth, may the Lord make... Ruth, who is coming into your house, and again, who was Ruth? Ruth was this Moabite widow, was barren for 10 years, which made her a nobody in Jewish society. So may the Lord make Ruth like who? Rachel and Leah, or Leah, however else you want to pronounce it, right? I'll say Leah. Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house 
of Israel. Now, what is the story of Rachel and Leah? You should know that both of them were barren. They, were, they too were depressed for many years until God chose to use both of them to build up the house of Israel by blessing them with many children. And it was actually, this is, this is the more surprising part, it was through the less attractive, right, the less physically desired Leah, right, the, the virtual nobody in her story that became the mother of Judah through which the seed of Jesus would be carried through. Okay. Right, that's the amazing part of Leah's story. She was just not liked by anyone. She was, she was marginalized, beat down emotionally. You know, no one really loved her, it seemed. But God exalted her, right, and placed her in a place of esteem. And it continues, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez. Most of you probably don't, have never heard of Perez or don't know much about him, but it says, <laughs> May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar, that may sound a little more familiar, right? Tamar bore to Judah. And so Judah and Tamar, they had a baby named Perez. Now, this is supposed to shock us a bit because if you don't know Tamar's story, her story is recorded in Genesis chapter 38. And like Ruth, she was also an outsider. Uh, and like Ruth, she too was barren and she wanted to have children, right? But she was actually much more desperate to have children. And, and that's, that's why her story is different because you know Ruth was a noble character and she bore a child with Boaz through legitimate means. Tamar, on the other hand, posed as a prostitute in order to trap her own father-in-law, Judah, into sleeping with her so that she can get pregnant through illegitimate means. I mean, that's Tamar for you. I said, that, that's low of lows. I mean, you don't get lower than that. She is a lowly character. So why, I ask, why should these lowly characters such as Tamar and Leah and Ruth be given such a place of high honor and esteem in God's story of redemption. It shouldn't happen. They don't deserve any of this. Well, it's because God somehow loves to lift up the lowly. He loves to do this kind of work. He finds pleasure in exalting the lowly, and offering them a place of esteem. And it's by his grace that he does so. Okay? It's by his grace that he turns these nobodies into somebodies. I'm sure many of you can relate to that kind of grace because you've tasted it yourselves. All right, the Christian life, isn't it true? It often looks messy, right? It often looks like the messy life of Ruth, who grew up under godless Moabite parents. But by God's kind providence, 
She married into Naomi's family and she was introduced to the one true living God. And although Naomi's family was walking in disobedience for many years, somehow God was gracious to Ruth and, and Ruth grew to possess a genuine love for the Lord. Someone who is lowly is exalted. Maybe, maybe you relate to that story. Maybe that's been your experience, living under ungodly parents for so many years and somehow God found you and lifted you up and exalted you to a place of esteem. For others, the Christian life may look like Naomi's life where it starts off really well. Like you're born into a Christian home, right? But along the journey of life, you lose many loved ones and life becomes very bitter for you. And so you become this spiritual wanderer for some time right, until God kind of reels you back in because he is the God who promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you. <clears throat> this, is, this is kind of my story, actually. He promised that no one can snatch you out of his hand and that if you do stray, that he would chastise you so that you would be given the grace to persevere to the end. Maybe some of you relate to that story a little more. But brothers and sisters, remember that, that no matter how hard your life has been, all of your hardships will one day be forgotten, and in the end, you'll be blessed as Naomi was blessed. Right? That's, that's how her story ends. <clears throat> and still for others, the Christian life may look like Boaz's life, right? you know, maybe old age has crept up on you. You were sure that you were gonna marry in your early to mid-20s. I'm sorry, Pastor Andrew. <laughs> he actually texted, texted the pastoral staff after nine o'clock service, <laughs> kind of referring to this. But now you're much older and you feel kind of less confident about yourself. Maybe that's sort of your struggle right now. But whatever your story may be, I can tell you that though your life may not be a clean line from point A to point B, that God will get you to where you need to be as long as you're willing to trust in him through it all. Amen? And I know that's easier said than done. <clears throat> And I know that most of us, we need practical guidance on a weekly basis. And I know that these Sunday messages aren't enough to offer that practical need. But you know, we at the church, we want to encourage you to seek wise friends and counselors, right? We have resources. In fact, yesterday the men's group met here in the sanctuary and offered men's discipleship training. Okay, we talk more practical in those settings. So if you want practical uh, advice, guidance, seek out those opportunities. You know, we have things for our sisters as well. I think our women's ministry is gonna you know, really uh, become more active again. So I'm hearing some, some news about that. So uh, yeah, I wanna encourage all of you to remain faithful in your walk with the Lord, okay? Part three, <clears throat> the bigger picture and why genealogies matter. Okay. The story of Ruth, 
maybe to your disappointment, ends with a genealogy, okay? Now, for some of you, every time you encounter a genealogy, you're thinking, boring, right, boring. It's like if you suffer from insomnia, all you gotta do, right, is, is find a long list, like a genealogy in the Bible, and, and you'll be out in no time. That, that just immediately puts you to sleep, right? I, I understand, I've been there. So at the risk of putting you all to sleep this morning, here's how the book ends, okay? Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, right, boring. Salmon fathered Boaz, gets a little more interesting, more familiar name. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse, wow, Jesse, is, Jesse fathered, he was the one who fathered David. Now, who's David? We all know David, right? David was a great king, but he was a flawed king, like all kings, all earthly kings. But it was through David that we get to Jesus. And we all know that Jesus, he is the only perfect king worthy of our lives. But that's the lineage of Christ. And so here's the big picture, brothers and sisters, that I want you to see this morning. See, God is not just meeting the personal needs of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz in this story. Yes, he's doing that too, but that's not the only thing he's doing. It may seem sometimes like God is just trying to be a, a cosmic matchmaker here for Ruth and Boaz, but that's not the only thing that's happening here. That's only one small part of, of God's larger symphony. So let me take you back to verse one of chapter one of this book. Remember how it began? It began with these words, in the days when the judges ruled, okay? Now the judges, like we said, it's a very, it was a very dark time, a very chaotic time, a spiritually depressed time. But then it's important to remember what happened after this dark period called the judges. At the very end of judges, what did people start doing? They started craving for what? A king someone that could rule over them and, and govern them. And so they started demanding from God, give us a king. We want a king just like the other nations. We're, we're done with this chaos. Give us some order, God. So you gotta understand here, even before we get to that point of the people demanding God, a king, give us a king, even before they ask God, See, God is taking these steps to provide them, not just with a earthly king, but with a king who will last forever, a perfect king, King Jesus, the king of kings. That's, that's the bigger story. And so when you make the mistake of thinking that this life is just about you and your needs. You've got to learn to take a step back. Understand that God is weaving together a larger story of redemption, and you're, you're not the central figure of it. Why genealogies matter? Okay? Why do genealogies matter? <clears throat> I had to cut out a, a good chunk from this section. I'll just highlight two things for us to consider and then I'll wrap up, okay? Number one, genealogies teach us that the Lord 
our God, he actually writes down names in his book of life. Like I said earlier, names are important to God. It's an amazing thing because he is the creator of the universe, and yet he knows each of our names, and he keeps a record of all who are his. Why do we deserve that kind of treatment? Uh, some of you may know that one of our PCA leaders, Tim Keller, PCA is our denomination. Okay, some of you may, may not like Tim Keller so much, but uh, he was a very gifted man, a godly man, uh, not a perfect man, okay? But uh, his contribution has been great over the years. And he passed away uh, a few days ago, right? In fact, the PCA lost two giants of the faith uh, over the past week or two. I think it was this past week, right? Uh, Harry Reeder was one. He passed away first in a car accident, and then soon after him, Tim Keller passed away. But I, I saw John Piper sharing uh, a brief tribute for uh, our brother, our pastor, Tim Keller. You can look it up very easily. Uh, and he, he revealed the fact that he and, and Keller had this exchange not too long ago. It was, it was uh, you know, while Keller was a bit sick and uh, I believe they were trying to encourage one another. Uh, Keller knew that he, did not have, he didn't have much more time to live on this earth. And so he was sharing a reflection based on Luke 10 where you see the 72 disciples that Jesus sent out, they return utterly amazed that they were able to subdue demons in Jesus' name. Have you ever had, had that kind of experience where, where you, you had authority over demons, like unseen, invisible forces? It was an amazing thing for them because it was their first experience. Right? And Jesus' words to them were this. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nonetheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in that. And Keller was sharing how one of his favorite pastors and preachers of old, Martin Lloyd-Jones, confessed that he found, and this is when Martin Lloyd-Jones himself was suffering uh, from some illness, but he found more comfort in this passage than in any other passage during that season of suffering. Right? The idea that his name was written in heaven. And the lesson from that was that that. Keller was to take more delight in the Savior than in the work that he has done for the Savior over his lifetime. That he was to take more delight in the fact that he is a saved child of God than that he has seen some success in this life. I hope that thought edifies you. Lastly, it's a related point, but I'll end with this. Genealogies teach us that people of faith 
share the same spiritual bloodline as Jesus. I mean, who are you? Who am I that we would be given such a mercy? Be given a place in Jesus' lineage. He could have easily written any one of us out by declaring, you will be the sons and daughters of Orpah and not of Ruth or Boaz. But he didn't do that. He didn't give us what we deserved. Rather, he gave us an amazing gift. He gave us mercy. So as we conclude our Ruth series, brothers and sisters, let me invite you all to respond to the great hero of this story, right? Our true Boaz, Jesus Christ. Know that you are spiritually bankrupt apart from your Redeemer, Jesus. Please do not try to fix yourself up. You gotta be like Ruth, humble yourself. And if you haven't done so yet, ask this true and greater Boaz, Jesus Christ, to redeem you, to save you, to offer you such an amazing grace, and he will give it to you, and your life will be changed, just like your brother Sam's life was changed a few years ago. And if you've already been following Jesus for a few years now, then take a moment to simply thank the Lord for redeeming a broken sinner like yourself and writing your name in his book of life. Give praise to him. The end. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the knowledge that Jesus is the one who turns nobodies into somebodies. In the book of Ruth, we witness the beautiful transformation of Ruth, this Moabite widow, who is brought into the lineage of the Messiah. In light of how messy our lives can be, we're encouraged to know that you have this power to transform our brokenness into something beautiful and meaningful. So we thank you for your redemptive work in our lives and the hope you offer us in Christ. So as we conclude this series, we ask for your guidance and strength to live out the lessons we've learned from this beautiful story of redemption, all for the sake of your glory and our joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.